James, you put the call out. Yes, I did. Sorry, we put the call out. Exactly. We jumped on Twitter and we put out a call out to find out what the next down round episode was going to be, what future episode we should do. It's because we are, and I hate to say it, Raph and I are fundamentally uncreative people. No. We don't know- Anything. Anything. And you know that old, there's that old Steve Jobs aphorism where it's like, you know, customers don't know what they want. They need to be told what they want or, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. We operate on the exact opposite principle. So there's the Henry Ford Allegedly, I don't think you actually said it. That if Is there something about the Jews? <laughs> if we'd made what the customer wanted, we would have made a faster horse with regards to the automobile. Got it. I have multiple things to say about this. The idea of going to customers and asking what their problems are and needs are. Like if a customer came to you and said, we want a faster horse, if you were a good product designer, you'd be like, okay, so how do we make the horse faster? How do we make it more comfortable? You'd make a car. That's actually great feedback. I want a horse, but faster. That's how you end up with a goddamn car. So, like, listen to the damn customer. Also, if you did manage to get a, make a faster horse, <laughs> yeah, well, that, would, that would be impressive. I mean, we love Maccabi Diva. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Far lap. It's, it's a venerated icon of Australia slash New Zealand culture. No, but seriously, we went to the uh, Downround community and asked what you wanted to see an episode about. A lot of great replies. Mm. Uh, but one of them was one that we actually have on the, the back burner for a little while, which we have mentioned sort of glancingly, but we wanted to do a whole episode on e-scooters. Are uh, e-scooter apps here to stay or are they also losing money like all the other app businesses? What's the go with the scooters? What's the go with the scooters? It's a great question. So we wanted to do an episode on micro-mobility. Mm-hmm which is sort of the buzzwordy way of talking about not just e-scooters, but also e-bikes, bike rental, mm. anything which involves you basically renting a, a bike or a scooter or something like that. Something that doesn't require a license, basically. Exactly. And then getting yourself around rather than you know jumping in an Uber or whatever, because that has been one of the fever dreams of the tech industry over the past five, six, seven years. Yeah. Well, it got a lot of steam because one, it solves environmental issues. And I used to remember hearing quite a lot about as part of the green revolution, we need people on scooters and bikes and it's going to save the planet. Also, it ticks that box of great reset paradigm of you'll own nothing and be happy. But there was definitely a big moment in pitching for VC money where it's like you have a hammer in your house. 99.99% of the time, you're not using that hammer. So why does every house need a hammer when you should be able to on demand just order a hammer? and have this communal hammer and therefore there's less stuff and there's less wastage and blah, 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 blah. Same thing with like scooters and bikes. Think of all that time that bike in your shed isn't being used. Why do you need a bike? Why don't you just jump on an app? It shows you a bunch of bikes that you can jump on and then you pay through it. As well as in Uber Hype Zone, right? Like Uber was the hottest app. Like that was the hottest startup yeah, yeah. in the world. It's, it's hard to forget about like every single app that came after Uber for a period was the Uber 4. Yeah, Exactly. The sharing economy is a big thing. Airbnb being part of it, Airtasker, yeah. gig economy, sharing economy. It sort of popped up around the same time as that. Listeners will probably remember the period in like, what was it, like 2018, 2017, 2018? There was a point where, certainly in Australia, but it was happening all over the world, all these different companies were piling into the local market and trying to own the e-bike rental space. Yeah, A lot of them were like Chinese companies. There was like a huge surge of, of I can't even remember the names of them now. They're forgotten. Yeah. Or your tears and rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened there is that you the entire like city 
of Sydney and Melbourne was just like cluttered with piles of discarded bikes. Yeah. They were dredging them out of the Yarra River, you know. You would walk around in any inner suburb of Sydney and it was like... In particular, places like Bondi, like places at the bottom of a hill. Yeah. There would just be just a plethora of these share bikes of people going one way because that's one of the benefits of them, right? You get to ride down the hill but don't have to go back up. I'll yeah. walk back up, thanks. Not pushing anything. No, exactly. A lot of these companies did kind of get lumped in with Uber and companies like that. It was part of the sharing economy. But at the end of the day- There's key difference, isn't there? Yeah. Listener, have you spotted the key difference between Uber and Airbnb, for example, and renting a bike? The simple fact of the matter is that with an Uber, you are allocating what is technically excess capacity. I mean, the dream of Uber, this is not really how it played no. out in practice, but the dream of Uber is, oh- there are guys out there that have their, their cars parked in their garage and they've got all this spare time. Mm. Why not get those cars out on the road and, and transporting people around and really sort of milk the potential usage out of all these sort of cars? Airbnb, the same with like renting out people's houses when you're not using them. Yeah. In reality, that's not how I play with bikes because it was super easy as a company, as like a startup, to be like, all right, I'll raise $10 million mm. and I'll spend all $10 million on bikes. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've got like a fleet of 30,000 bikes yeah. that you can just deploy into a city and hope to like own the marketplace. Yeah. Of course, the where that sort of fell apart is that 10 other companies could do that. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've just got all these bikes dumped into a city with no like- It's also classically not a marketplace. Like the, no. the Uber model, which- is questionable in itself is, yeah, the idea of someone has a car, someone wants to ride in the car, Uber just creates the technology that enables that to take place and takes a very slim margin. We're still trying to work out if this whole model actually works, if that really slim margin is enough to run a profitable business. But regardless, ignoring that, Uber don't have to deal for the most part with maintaining the car, paying the drivers or any of that kind of crap, but in particular maintenance, whereas obviously these bike fleets... It's kind of even worse because, like, yeah, sure, things go wrong in cars. But, like, bikes, people don't have the same mentality with a strewn bike on the footpath than they do with a car, right? It's very unlikely that you're going to go along a road kicking off the wing mirrors of cars. But, like, if you've had a few and you see a few bikes next to a river. <laughs> That's an evening right there. It unlocks you in a rascal. <laughs> But no, there's a huge cost to maintaining oh, yeah, bikes the- that you own versus if a car breaks down, the driver has to deal with the frigging car, right? If, exactly, if a car yeah. gets dinged, the driver has to deal with the car. And like, you know, Uber can set up all, all sorts of different programs of like reimbursements and like subsidizing repairs or whatever they want to do. With bikes, like they own them, like the cost of repairing them as opposed to like either taking them out of commission or leaving them there. The incentives don't really align. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and manufacture keep keeping all this stuff going is yeah no it's it's insane. And e scooters kind of fall into the same paradigm. Yeah, unfortunately, we never really had e scooters in Sydney. I don't know if it's because of New South Wales laws. It is, and this is this is the other thing as well is that an e scooter business you have to deal with if you're operating in multiple jurisdictions, which you have to if you want the scale to make it work, and yeah. you're just going to be like a local business that rents e scooters. But you actually want to like have that model where it's like I open up an app and I have all these GPS located scooters or bikes that I can jump on Mm. if you want that to work. You have to deal with the fact that every jurisdiction has all different kind of rules about how scooters can be used. In Sydney, they were supposed to launch a trial in certain suburbs in Sydney last year. I'm not even sure if that went ahead. But in Sydney, it's illegal to ride it on any public road or footpath. Yeah, They have a lot of different trials 
I know Brisbane in, has in, them. In, yeah, and in I think Brisbane. this question might have come from a Queenslander. It did, yes. This is the thing, though, with, with this whole space, right? Like, obviously, from a business perspective, seems very hard to make it work. It seems very hard for these businesses to make money, even though they try and kind of marketplace that we've discussed before. You know, you get paid to charge bikes in your garage. You can be like a charge supplier for e-bikes. And in this dream world, you can see Silicon Valley mindsets like, great, we put these bikes out there. We don't have to maintain them. We pay these micropayments to people to charge them and we pay micropayments to people to maintain them. And there's this fantastic marketplace where all we have to do is align the incentives and we've got this profitable business model that we can take this tiny margin on. And all over the world, we predict that by 2030, 50% of the world will be riding e-scooters every day. And so we're going to be the biggest business and blah, 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 blah. Business model doesn't work. That falls apart. However, when I went to Berlin and got to whip out my Lime app uh-huh. and jump on a damn e-scooter on the other side of the world without having to enter any new credit card details, sign up to anything, it's the same app. That was hella convenient. Was that a wow moment for you? Oh, it was a, this is sick, although I'm also here in the middle of winter and I didn't realize that my gloves weren't going to be thick enough for riding an e-scooter around Berlin in winter. you got to have thicker gloves. See, the alternative was I was in Berlin in 2012, I think, and- it was one of the first times I was staying in Airbnb. Remember, was that era, 2012? Mm, I was in a hotel. It was two years ago. Ah, and my mind was blown by this experience being on Airbnb because the um, guy that rented out the Airbnb was like, I've got two bikes and you're free to use them. <laughs> you're free to use the I bike. remember that, the free to use the bikes Airbnb. Yeah, the doesn't bike, have any more. No, it doesn't have any more. Let me, let me tell you why. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I ended up, I, I rode the bike 15 kilometers away. I had like a big run riding around the city day. Mm. <laughs> Locked it up, and the instant I locked the bike up, the key just snapped off of the lock. <laughs> it was New Year's Eve, so as a result, there were no locksmiths or anything because like everyone was, you know, out partying or whatever. Well, so you're gonna just call a locksmith? Just well, Google like Berlin. Well, I was thinking about it because I felt I felt so in poor. <laughs> I, felt, I felt so shit about it. I just had to message the guy, and be like, "Sorry, your your bike is at this station," which was literally like 15 kilometers from his house. And he replied like, "Oh, okay, thank you." <laughs> and as a result, this is why you don't see this happen anymore. I thought you were gonna say that you were riding it, you know, and you just had a big night listening to techno, and <laughs> in the morning you were just feeling a bit fun and just threw it in the river there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the rascal was unlocked. <laughs> it was a hard a harbinger of things to come. No, but no, you're right. Like as an Airbnb host, didn't see himself having to deal with like transporting bikes around. Exactly the same thing as like bird and lime well, this have to deal with. This explains why you can't have a decentralized marketplace. You don't want to let people ride your bike. <laughs> Like it's, it's different when you're when it's your Uber and you're driving them around. Yes. You don't want to be like, you come use my bike. It doesn't work. So it has to be centralized. But the other thing as well, and here's what I think is like the great fault of the business model altogether. So what does Lime or so for clarity for people that know, Lime is now owned by Uber. Mm. And it's part of the Uber offering. You know, you can get jump into your Uber app and, and book them from straight from Yeah, there. Lyft ha- owns a bunch of them as well because, again, as big companies, they're like, we are the future of mobility, everything. You we name it, own boat, everything. plane, helicopter, car, etc. So they're like the way that these micro-mobility companies kind of pitch themselves, there are a few like use cases. One is like spontaneous travel. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like you are in Bondi. <laughs> Would you like me to read out my Lime past? This could be instructive. Yeah, okay. Let's have a Let's look at Run through your Lime. So I, I don't use it, so I don't know the- I do use. I'm a Lime user. I mean, that said, I've had eight rides. Okay. I've generated 6,269 Lime points. 
Okay. Not quite sure how that translates. Are they, are they as val- What's the exchange rate with Qantas points? Some boffins <laughs> out there will know how much that translates to. Yeah. 38Ks. History. So we've got 5.30 a.m., 4.59 a.m., 1.49 a.m., 5.38 a.m., 10.28 a.m. So okay, that's, that's, that's normal. That's very reasonable. 12.46 a.m., uh-huh. 11.26 p.m., and 5.11 a.m. Would you say- Cast your memory back to these individual rides. I don't need. I don't, I don't need specifics. But would you say that you were obeying South Wales road rules and laws, well, bylaws uh, in riding the bikes? After a certain hour, I don't know what that hour is. Uh-huh. You do get a little puzzle that pops up. It reminds you that if you're intoxicated, <laughs> it is illegal to drive. And I believe it makes you enter like a word or something like that, like a few letters. And it's not like you pass this with flying colours. Oh yeah, <laughs> the whole up in court. All right, so. One of the use cases of these things is spontaneous rides. Mm-hmm. You suddenly decide that you need to be somewhere or you suddenly realise your other options are foreclosed to you. <laughs> this might, might have been your decision. Great. And the so they, they sort of pitch that. And I'm going to be really honest, like, that's not really a business. No. <laughs> it's not a predictable business. But you can see the sale, right? It's like people are just going to constantly, spontaneously be riding bikes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they've... There are some cities that have made this work for a very long time, like, you know, the city bikes in New York City, mm-hmm. but you do have to return those to stations. It's a yeah, bit more, Melbourne's it's, had that for ages it, it, as totally. well. It's a bit more regimented. And the other side that they kind of pitch is exactly that kind of like green replacement for public transport, basically. Mm. A lot of these pitches are like, instead of getting the train to work, whack open your Uber app, book a Lime bike, you're laughing. So it's like this kind of like decentralized replacement for public transport in a way. Yeah. And the point I would make about that is that the vast majority of like public transport systems all around the world are like loss-making enterprises. Yes. They are heavily subsidised by whatever government mm. and the whole reason is because they, ge- they generate outsized economic value. Yes. So it's like, yeah, we're losing $5 on every ride that someone makes, takes on, the, on Sydney trains or the New York Metro or whatever it may be, but we're moving people in and out of the city, we're benefiting, we're happy to, to take that hit or subsidise it because, you know, it creates efficiencies. It, cre- it, cre- it creates efficiency in high-paying jobs elsewhere. These companies are actually trying to make money. You yeah. Know? Even if everyone decided they were going to do this, mm. what's like the actual f- effective business there? I don't really see it, to well, be honest. And the other key point, though, is it's relying on kind of one-way travel. If you're a bike rider and you plan on riding a bike somewhere, you often can just ride that bike home. And there are certain c- circumstances where you might only want to go one way. And usually- that's when you shouldn't be in a state to be riding a bike, right? Like, and that, that doesn't involve public transport. The other thing being, of course, like a lot of these are American-based companies and the public transportation yeah, situation my, my, there is far total, worse. Total, oh, I know, absolutely. No question about it. And then you have other places that actually have a bike riding culture where everyone has their own bike and they have the public infrastructure such as bike lanes and places to park your bike, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's the other thing. Like every time you jump on a bike in Sydney, for example, you're basically, depending on where you are, unless you're in like a small number of neighbourhoods, you are putting yourself open to the fact that there's probably going to be a guy who deliberately runs you over because <laughs> there's nowhere you feel to go and because he, he wants you dead. Because, look, to, to answer the original question in the tweet, are these companies making money? The answer is no. Certainly not, and they're closing down. Yeah, not consistently. Some of them have been okay on like a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis every now and again. Obviously, ones like Lime as being within sort of like a holistic company like uber uber can do whatever sort of like bookkeeping gymnastics they need to do to make it seem like a, a good investment but it's like standalone entities pretty much anywhere in the world not consistently profitable with bolt being the funniest sorry to people who've heard the story but bolt usain bolt 
was one of the co-founders. I'm not sure what stake he had. Obviously, yep. was his namesake. But Bolt famously just seemingly up and left, leaving these bricked e-scooters just strewn across like Portland yep. with no office, no contact number, no anything, just being like, whoop. Yeah. We're no, done. It's the same as like back when they were trying to get all the e-bike stuff off the ground in China. There were like all those like apocalyptic photos of just like enormous piles of 20,000 bikes ready to be set on fire in the middle of like a, a square in like Shenzhen or whatever. Because, you know, for these sort of companies, as I said before, you could buy a lot of bikes for pretty low investment overhead, mm. um, which is one of the reasons why it's really hard to win a market because you have no moat. Yeah. A very little moat. Unlike Uber and food delivery is another one where it's like if you're not one of the number two, one or two provider in a given city, you may as well leave, which is what just happened with Deliveroo basically. Yeah. Deliveroo pulled out of Australia because Uber Eats and um, DoorDash were eating their lunch. You never have that like level of protection with like a e-bike or e-scooter. Mm. Someone else can just like soak up a bunch of investment, dump all their sort of bikes in the city. And, you know, apart from the fact that Uber uses already are kind of ready to have a line bike. Anyone else that tries to get in, no one has any loyalty to like Oyo or like whatever the yeah. latest like Chinese e-scooter brand is or e-bike brand. They'll just like see one and be like, all right, I'll, I'll scan the QR code yeah. and sign up for it. It'll probably take me, you know, less than five minutes. I'll probably get 10 bucks free. Yeah, exactly. And I'm good to go. Well, yeah, it's a commodified business. So if a segment is very easy to enter, then you're going to compete on price, which pushes down margins, which pushes down profits. And so- only the biggest survive and no one makes any money. Yeah. Pretty classic. No, I agree. I think I think it's a, a bad a bad business, but I also think it's an egg that people are going to keep trying to crack. Because- well, seemingly the purple ones have only been around for about four months yeah. here. There seems to be new entrants. Everyone opens the Excel spreadsheet, runs the numbers and says, we're going to make an absolute killing. But then next minute, like Lime, if anyone's used a frigging Lime bike, try and A, take the helmet out and then put the helmet back. Because again, unforeseen problems like, hey, everyone who rides a line bike doesn't use a freaking helmet. When they first came out, the helmet would just kind of be hanging off the bike. You would just kind of have to clip it onto the bike. And for the most part, obviously, the helmets weren't there or they were just strewn somewhere else. But yep. you now have in Sydney, because of war on cyclists, there's a massive fine for not wearing a helmet. That's a whole other thing. They run the numbers in Denmark. You actually save more lives by uh, not making them mandatory. Net, net. Anyway, we won't go into it. So they need to have helmets. Okay, how, do we, how are we going to have helmets? So now that you've got to invent this technology where on the phone it says like the helmet's in the bike, like press here to unlock the helmet and it's this whole thing, this contraption that holds the helmet that you have to remove in this weird vice-like thing. Then when you're parking it again, you've got to put the helmet back into the vice-like lock before you can lock the bike and blah, 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 blah. All of this stuff is just these added complications that cost money. You've got to redesign bikes. You've got to redeploy technology that only, yeah, someone like Uber, who's big enough to, as you say, absorb the losses, even though it seems like we're, we're unsure if their entire business model <laughs> is making any money. But yeah, they can afford to make tens, hundreds of millions of dollars of losses on um, micro-mobility because of the promise in the future that one day we're all going to have 400,000 line points. Yeah. And they really just, all that, it seems like all they want is just like optionality for someone who goes, I want to get from here to here. Obviously, Uber would much prefer it if you got like an Uber, a car, mm. if you got in a regular Uber or you yeah. got into a Uber business or like the Uber Black or whatever they call all those tiers now. I always I can't keep track. The Uber Comfort, sorry, Uber Comfort. That's the one where like they get the car. You got a bit more leg room and you can like select. Don't talk to me. Is that Uber Comfort? I think it's actually it is Uber business now. 
because I got in one couple of days ago and it was the Polestar after we'd just been talking about the Polestar, but it was a base level Polestar. It's business comfort. So we're both right. Business comfort. Yeah, there you go. And then Premier is the, is the tier above that. Yeah, they'd prefer that because they don't have to deal with me stomping my muddy shoes in the Polestar. But the Lime bike, on the other hand. They just want the, the option there. So it's kind yeah. of like someone who's more price sensitive, someone who, you know, doesn't want to pay the 24 bucks to get an Uber to the pub. They can pay $5. Nine. It's not that cheap. That's the other thing. It's really not that cheap. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think, yeah, they're not interested in reorienting their whole business around it. They just want another little thing you can tap on if the other options aren't nice, aren't what you want. As well as the show growth on, right? Lime Bikes is growing at X percentage yeah, every yeah. year. It's all, yeah, it all, it all feeds into it. To answer the big question, I think it's an absolutely terrible business. I have no idea how how it will be turned into like consistently. It just seems like one of those bits that maybe can't have it as run in one city. It's got to be everywhere. It's be you everywhere. have to justify having an app. Well, yeah, if you're a big startup, alternatively, you can have a smaller business like they do in Melbourne or whatever, where you have parking bays and you have a subscription and there's a small amount of people who find it really handy to exactly. use, but it's... It's not that profitable a business. It's kind of like a... It may as well just be called Steve's Bikes and it's like a rental hut in the middle of yeah. Hyde Park. I've only ever had good experiences other than getting charged fines, leaving them in the wrong parking space. But I actually like the idea. But if Lime Bike are listening to it, they're thinking, this is exactly not the user we want. <laughs> we don't want... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is actually exposing us to a huge amount of liability. Yeah. <laughs> 